Welcome to the Electric Shadows podcast with me, your host, Rob Daniel. As always, I'm very happy to say that I am joined by my learned, incredibly learned, because this is one of the films I haven't seen this week, colleague. And there are plenty of those. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, And as always, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. To uh, to get the plugs out of the way, uh, I write uh, and run of all the film sites, www.ofallthefilmsites.com, and you can also find my writings uh, through Twitter, at Robert M. Wallace. Uh, and the Twitter plug for me is at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel and you can follow this podcast or subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and we are on that Android one and I will Which find we out. never remember to look at what that's called. It uh, is mad that we don't do that but we should do and I should do because I was one that signed us up for it so I will have a look at that and by the next one if we haven't done it by the time we record the next podcast it will be the thing we do before we start the next podcast we should also probably set up a twitter account maybe just for the podcast maybe oh, that's a good idea see he's younger than i am he gets social media <laughs> um, so now a couple of apologies actually so apologies that this has been a long time coming i think it's been about a month since our last one reason for that is because i tried to self-improve for the new year and and i went to the gym and was actually doing really well at the gym. I lost eight kilos, which was um, not bad. Really impressive stuff, yeah. yeah. And then I went and had an accident on the cross trainer where my foot slipped and went into the hole where the paddle goes into, very closely followed by the paddle, crushed my foot and fractured my big toe, and uh, so I have had surgery on that. And it's ironic that we're going to be talking about a superhero film this week because I have shown my body in all of its frailty over the past couple of weeks and it's not been fun. So anyway, so there's that. And also, if this is a slightly choppy podcast, it's because I'm going to have to stop at some point to elevate my foot again because it gets quite sore when it's just in a sitting position. So, so for, for the sake of this podcast... So I am weak. <laughs> uh, you know, um, Rob will be embodied, embodying, literally embodying white masculine frailty... <laughs> Yeah, that's literally what I'm going to be embodying in all of its pasty glory. (laughs) In all of its not having seen Black Panther glory. Yes, indeed. And that's the other thing, is that this injury has meant that I've not been able to go to the cinema to see anything, including the number one film around the world that everyone's talking about, everyone is saying is really good, 
really interesting. It's the, it's the one film that you should have an opinion on right now. And I was very close to going to see it and then thought, the idea of getting on crutches and going into the centre of London... <laughs> Going across town to the O2. Going across town, yeah, dude. Um, we were going we to see it together. I mean, fortunate, it's actually fortunate that you, you know, as much as it would have been lovely to have you there. At one point, it did seem like they were going to activate, uh, act, evac- evacuate the O2 because they had the uh, the evacuation siren started going off. And, and it, this was, you know, I think it was Kendrick Lamar playing, so it was busy. And everybody's kind of looked up and went, doesn't sound, you know, it's saying get out, get that, get out of the building, but it's doing so very sedately and not very loudly. So everybody's kind of got on with what they were doing <laughs> as the staff looked sort of among themselves and were like, we're "Meant to be clearing them," and then nothing happened. And so it was obviously rammed as well, which would not have been, yeah, you are, you are, you hobbling along <laughs> with lots of people around me at risk of treading on my foot would have been, yeah, slightly bad. Although actually, I have to say, it is um, when you're on crutches, people do tend to open doors for you and stuff like that, which is quite nice. So um, so hopefully after this is all healed and stuff in, I don't know, the next two two to four weeks, um, I might just stay on crutches and <laughs> just get that sympathy. <laughs> just walk around London with people say, oh, look, let me get the door for you. And uh, it's like, yes, I'm so hungry, but I can't go and get a sandwich because I'm on crutches. And then, <laughs> just see if I can get some free food from it. That's what I do with adversity. I basically um, manipulate the good nature of other people. So, uh, yeah, so I think that's... that's <laughs> I think it's little bits of bone marrow going to my stream and basically skewing. It's either that or the fact that uh, I am putting quite a few drugs into myself right now. And having to inject myself in the evening every single night with anti-blood clot serum. So, can't believe that I've not developed superpowers by now. I've done seven <laughs> injections in a row every day. And it only took one spider bite for Peter it Parker took to... one spider bite, yeah, but yes. what, what power did you develop? Like, what power is congruent with a broken... Like, Well, it's as their anti-blood clot injections, I would become, I don't know, blood man or something I would be able what, to like manipulate you... your blood and maybe change your blood type so that everyone becomes like a universal donor I so, a, a, like a shitty version of Magneto from the first X-Men film or a good version of Jesus not that shitty that's a pretty good, it's like ultimately you just, I don't know, your blood would never clot therefore you could just spray your blood at people <laughs> which is, yeah, is, is, the thing is, is that I could is not particularly useful or it's just it's just in bank robberies because they tend to wear helmets don't they with visors down so Rob Daniel the human my, dye pack I could squirt my blood at them so that their helmets become really smeary they can't see where they're going they run into a wall fall over try and get up there's too much blood and they start slipping around they there it's like that is an idea that I'm gonna I'm gonna write down. Blood man. Heard it here first. I think some bone marrow really is going to my let's get that foot elevated. Let's get that foot elevated. It's been six minutes and uh, yes. So without further ado, let's talk about the film that you've seen that I haven't that is the number one film of it could be the number one film of the year. I mean, because it's done four hundred million dollars in the states so far. I mean, yeah, but I think you know, obviously, uh, we've got Infinity War coming out in a couple of months. We but, have, um, but yeah, who knows? I mean, the public response to Black Panther has been phenomenal. I mean, people really have turned out in droves to see it. So, as you know, surprisingly, when you 
make a film targeted at an audience that is gen- not really being catered to mm. with superhero films. I think it's the um, and yeah, sorry, you 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 you, you take this one. It's done over seven hundred million dollars around the world in two weeks, so that's not bad, is it? I'm sure that Disney are quite happy with that, and I think it's one of those films where the reason why I think this might actually outperform Infinity Wars is because, for that very reason, this is a cast of characters who have always been the supporting characters in the previous Marvel films. It's, um, unless I'm They've always been misremembering. There hasn't been a black lead. This is the first black lead, isn't it? No, I mean, there's there's been War Machine and Falcon, but yeah, they are very much supporting characters. Yeah, they're mates of Tony Stark and um, Captain America. Yeah. Yeah, very well played by Don Cheadle and Anthony Mackie. Yes. And, of course, Terrence Howard in the first Iron Man, um, before he disgraced himself, apparently. But anyway, but that's the thing. So, therefore, this is a film in which, yeah, audiences who have kind of been maybe paid lip service to are suddenly getting a film of their own and, yeah, they're embracing it. But I think one of the things that appears to have been done well here, and, of course, I haven't seen it, but you're thinking, well, I'm sorry, but if you do 700 million in two weeks around the world, you're not just... Then you're just not catering... Yeah, to one particular group, um, it seems to be a bit of a crossover hit. And I think that it's yeah. like Wonder Woman last year, audiences will respond to something new and fresh. And uh, and unfortunately, a predominantly black cast or a female lead. A black cast and creative team. <clears throat> yeah, and that's the. Yeah, it's almost like, oh wow, this is a story we haven't seen. Well, this is, this is a version of, of this story that we haven't seen before. You know, every variation on superhero film out there. And it's like. And, Here's one that's actually kind of new and interesting. That's what I'm looking forward to. And it's and it's I'm looking forward to seeing this film because one, it's been embraced by a lot of people and and by all accounts it's actually quite good. And two, to be honest, there's um as a guy who doesn't really have a lot of exposure to Afrofuturism or to be honest, to black culture. Or Afrocentrism in general, yeah. Afrocentrism in general. It's like, yeah, what am I going to make of this film? Is, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Cause, you know, again, there is, there, there is sort of getting the acknowledgement out of the way yeah. of like, you know, obviously as two middle class English white guys, our opinions are the important ones right now. <laughs> I think our voices have been have been sorely lacking in this in this in this arena. But on the other hand, you know, as you say, it's it's the biggest film on the planet at the moment. It's going to be, if if not the biggest, one of the biggest films this year, and it's an important film. There is a cultural moment that's happening here. And one of the really interesting things I think about this is that it's a shame that this is such a cultural moment because... In 2018. Yeah, yeah, because like, yeah, cinema's been along for quite a while. I'd love to say it's because we, you know, we're all living in enlightened times mm. and you know, idealistically it's... Because, yeah, maybe because we have reached a point where, the, where there is a cultural awareness. Marvel have turned characters who weren't Batman, who weren't Spider-Man, who weren't who didn't have the who weren't as recognizable, who weren't the A-listers into the bedrock of this, of this massive franchise and the fact that, you know, if we can do it with Iron Man, we can do that with Black Panther and there's a, there, and there is a desire for the to for, you know for these films to exist. And then, you know, cynically, because there is a desire for these films to exist, people, as, as it turns out, will, will pay to go and see them currently to the tune of 700 million. And then also and studios will also pay to make them. Yeah. And no studio is going to pay for a film that no one wants to see unless it is directed by someone who has a huge amount of clout. And Ryan Coogler is a very good filmmaker, but he has 
he doesn't have a huge amount of crowds, but it's, it's so, so clearly there's like an appetite for this film. And then you say, well, it could be because the debate about race right now in America is so prevalent and important and, to be honest, divided. Is this addressing that argument as well? Uh, it does, to an extent. I mean, yeah, I think it does, as, as, as far as the, uh, the fact that you do need to appeal still appeal to the popcorn munching matinee cinema crowd who just want to see a good action film. yeah who just want to see a good action film and i don't and maybe and maybe want to feel like they're virtuously taking part in an important you know an important movement in cinema without feeling like they're being chastised yeah that's... and that's the thing the film the film does manage to acknowledge it without uh, pissing off without pissing off the people that aren't going to be fundamentally pissed off because because it because it because it exists without you know the, the... well we watched the um, uh, the Jordan Klepper opposition clip on YouTube where it turns out the Breitbart and the Trumpian right are actually claiming this film for themselves because there are a couple of things in there about Wakanda the fictional country in which it's set that seem to vie on a very very superficial level. With Trump's idea for America, right? Yeah, now. because it's you know because you know it's just Trump's vision of America as a country, ri- and as you know, rich in natural resources that that you know is that has cut itself off from the rest of the world, and that's the thing. I- isolationism and his walled, I- yeah, and, and his walled. Isolationism is a fundamental theme. Is 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 is, is you know one of the main themes in Black Panther. Should we uh, should we do the synopsis quickly? Yeah, I was going to say this is. I mean. We've kind of beat, beaten around the. Uh... Well, no, no. I think this is one of those films where, like, this is a film that has a huge amount of cultural and socio-cultural baggage around it right now, purely because it is a black cast in a superhero film, and that's odd. But it's one of those things where you can't have a film, a discussion about this film, without actually talking about that. But at the end of the day, it is a film, an action film, a superhero film that tells a story that is. I'd imagine quite that is a Marvel film that to, yeah, some, to some to some degree you know is there has, to entertain yeah and, and has to and does hew to the formula well yeah and that's the other thing so um, yeah cool after you uh, T'Challa the king of Wakanda rises to the throne in the isolated technologically advanced African nation but his claim is challenged by a vengeful outsider who was a childhood victim of T'Challa's father's mistake now we have seen T'Challa in. Civil War, Civil War. Um, where he was one of the yeah, more series. prominent yeah. supporting characters. So we saw his homeland there, um, and we saw what his suit can do and what he can do, but this is obviously his first outing. So, any good? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of the best Marvel films in many years. Because... Yeah, it, it takes advantage of the flex that exists within the Marvel formula. It does say, okay, look, we understand that we, you know, we are telling a superhero film because ultimately, you know, everybody is here to see a superhero film. However, it is also an Afrocentric superhero film, and what if we're making that, we want to make the most of it. Wakanda, yeah, it's the old cliche, is a character. It's probably the most fully realized world bit of world building that Marvel's yet done and that's sort of it that's sort of including Asgard and should we talk a bit about um, sorry I'm going to ramble a bit um, uh, T'Challa is played by Chadwick Boseman is the Black Panther which is essentially the, uh, the a position that goes along with the, the kingship 
usually with being king of Wakanda because it is a, a monarchy. It's, it's a monarchy, but it's not quite a straight hereditary monarchy. He takes over the position of monarch after when his father is killed, uh, is killed in the events of civil war. Yeah, and uh, returns to his country and takes up the throne. But at which point he's challenged by a character known as Eric Killmonger, played by a sort of frequent Ryan Coogler collaborator, uh, Michael B. John, who worked with him on Creed and, of course, Fruitvale Station. And it was uh, really good in both. It was very good in both. And Killmonger is, um, and just, yeah, basically has a well-deserved gripe against T'Challa and his father, and fundamentally disagrees with Wakandan isolationism. The idea that this is that it's cut itself off from the rest of the world and present and using its advanced technology presents itself as just another as an African third-world impoverished nation. Basically, for the sake of its own defence, its technology is far, you know, far outstrips anything that the rest of the world has, and um, because uh, because of vibranium, this uh, this natural resource, which you know we best known as being the composite metal, the metal that makes up Captain America's shield. Right. But they've also got things like magrails, and his uh, his sister Shuri, who is played by Letitia Wright, is essentially is essentially the Tony Stark of this world, who has created okay. all this technology and is largely responsible for the technological advances. And uh, essentially, Killmonger believes that they owe it to African people around the world, um, displaced or otherwise, to kind of share this technology with them, to set in place an uprising. And the idea of Killmonger being a revolutionary and being somebody who believes that this has to be the change has to be brought about in blood, you know, for, he's a mercenary. And when the film opens, he's working with Ulysses Clark, played by Andy Serkis, who we, who we also previously saw in Civil War. And Age of Ultron was that? And, he uh, was it? Was he, he wasn't in Civil War. He wasn't Age of Ultron. Has it been since Age of Ultron that we since we saw Claw? Yeah, I don't think we saw him in Civil War. Wow, I, I didn't realize it had been that long. Age of Ultron was definitely the one where he was introduced. I can't remember if his. I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't think in. he was in Civil War. Wow, I can't. Near the ages. Ago. Wow, time. <laughs> the, the, the inexorable passage <laughs> of time. The Avenger. Yeah, this is a this is a Marvel film where a lot of the best Marvel films you can sort of just talk about the themes, mm. and you and you don't even really talk about that. You know, after at certain points, people just start hitting each other because that's you know with that's part of that, the formula. That's, part, of, that's part of the formula of it. Because one of the things that Marvel films always or well typically have an issue with is a weak villain, and the heroes are always more interesting than the villains. That sounds like he's got. A more interesting plan yeah. than typically just wanting to um, yeah, lift up a city and then drop it down or just destroy the world. Yeah, and that's the thing. He actually he stands for something, and I think I think a lot of the you know the the, the best the best Marvel villains today. I mean, let's say it's Killmonger, it's Michael Keaton in in Spider Man Homecoming. Mm. Um, yeah, as much as I wasn't a big fan of the film, I thought um, Kate Blanchett's Halo was pretty good in Thor Ragnarok in terms of she 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 had a. No, I thought, yeah. So I go on. Just in terms of, I think Marvel are getting it's something Marvel are getting better at. I think that Loki is is a good villain, but he set the template for what a villain should be in a Marvel film. The same way I think that Iron Man, the original Iron Man, set the template for what a Marvel film should be, and that's good for that. But actually, ultimately, it's it's just become quite bland. Um, and I was a little bit worried about this film just from the trailer in terms of this is a culture that we haven't seen in a superhero film or gone into in a lot of depth because you only really glimpse it in Civil War it still looks a bit kind of bland CGI and pastel that is just that Marvel look 
is that not the case when you watch the film? There are some. There are some really lovely. There's some really lovely production design and some really good visuals. Especially they they enter this sort of um, spirit state. I, I, I don't. I don't want to spoil it. But essentially, there, there are there are there are some some visuals in there that go beyond what you'd expect from a Marvel film, and I'm sure lots of stuff that I didn't pick up on. Yeah. In terms of I, there's been lots of dissections of the Killmonger character and how he has elements taken from different revolutionaries, black revolutionaries throughout history. Yeah. In a way that I'm not going to pick up, or because you know because I essentially haven't done my homework. But then I, I but don't then, know. I think so then, then again, then again. But the filmmaker's not asking you to do your homework. Exactly. Though, it's it's, it's, a, and, it's and that's what one of the good things about it is the fact that it also just works well as a Marvel film. And I think I don't think the action's particularly strong. Um, I don't think that Cougar is a great direction director of. Uh, he's he's great in Creed, but in this it's it's a lot more chop. It's quite a lot more choppy, and there. Which is interesting. You say that. Sorry to interrupt, but do you remember in Creed? There's one of the fights that Adonis gets in... Well, he doesn't get into yet. One of the professional fights that he has. <laughs> such a troublemaker. I mean, he got into it, he but like, it, was, yeah, it was like... Oh, I don't know about boxing. It was all done in one take. Which is... And, and it's, it's an amazing thing because you think, oh, that's really good. That looks like it was all done in one take. And then he said, no, it was all done in one take. I wanted to do a fight that was all in one take. So therefore, the fact that it's that the action's a bit choppy... It's surprising that suggests that maybe like yeah the um, logistics of a big Marvel action scene didn't allow for yeah and then that's you know, and there's the, uh, the there's the car chase with Black Panther leaping from the roof of one vehicle to another and these things and that you know feels you know it, it's just, it's good it's decent but it's nothing you wouldn't see that you there's nothing sort of unexpected or truly exciting it's more yeah again it's this it's more about the story and it, and ancestral intergenerational and the fact is, it is about a T'Challa choosing, you know, what type of king he's going to become and what he's going to stand for, and whether he's going to hew to tradition or whether or not he's right. going to. And it, so it, is it like Thor in that way? Then it is weirdly. It reminded me weirdly of Star Wars: The Last Jedi, oh, because it's presented because you know, his father stands for this very. You know, we, we've always done it this way. We, um, Wakanda's always been isolationist for a reason. It's to protect ourselves. And the other hand, you've got Killmonger being like, well, "I, you know, going to burn the world. I'm going to burn everything down," which is very much the uh, Kylo Ren. Mm. Sort of versus, um, yeah. Indeed, it's, it's a new order. This is yeah. There's no room in the world, or this is causing bad things to happen. I'll just expunge it, and we'll start again, and it will be new, and it will be good. Um, and 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 the way that quite a lot of good um, filmmaking is, it's about it's kind of the Buddhist middle way, mm. where it's like, okay, we need to negotiate between these two extremes. You know, just saying that is immediately more interesting than most. Mar- I started watching, yeah, it is. I started watching Ant Man again last night, and it's. And it's fine. It's uh, like, is it though? I think if you heard some coughing in the background, that's um, that's my flatmate who uh, who I think he's all right. It did sound like he was having an uh, aneurysm, but no, it's fine. Just in case that picked if, up. If, but, it, um, if it turns out he was, we'll edit that bit out so you won't know any of this. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> because it will seem really, because <laughs> we'll see really really callous. Um, um, and that does sound more interesting than most of the other things that come out of the Marvel studio because, to be honest, I think that Marvel films are watch-once films and not because you think, oh, yeah, I just want to watch it once. Even films that I, that I really wanted to watch again, like Civil War, which I went out and bought on Blu-ray, when I watched Civil War again, it was okay, but it wasn't one that I felt the need to return to, not in the way that I have done with Winter Soldier. Um, 
they make for great cinema experiences. They do. They, that's the thing is that that they are ultimately incredibly disposable because I think of themselves they are just telling a bigger story. So therefore, you think well, there's there's always something slightly unsatisfying about these. And and uh, sort and Ant Man, I think, is just yeah, completely throwaway as as perhaps befits a film set in Wakanda. Um, Black Panther is probably the most separate from the, from the rest of the MCU out of any film, any Marvel film that you know, there's been in recent years. Because yeah. you know, Thor Ragnarok had the Hulk in it. Spider-Man: Homecoming had Iron Man in it. This is just this is about Wakanda and about the people of Wakanda and the car, the supporting cast. They don't, they're not all as fully realised. Apparently, there were some scenes that developed certain aspects that were, that were cut. But you know, you've got actors like Lupita Nyong'o. Um, Daniel Kaluuya, the Oscar-nominated Daniel Kaluuya. Let's just say, you know, this is, Black Panther is the only film this year where you're going to see an Oscar-nominated person riding the back of a battle rhino. Unless Gary Oldman's career takes a really weird turn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meryl Streep's career. Let some suppressed videos of Gary Oldman's <laughs> come out. And, uh, am I misremembering it? Did... Lupita Nyong'o win the Best Sporting Actress Oscar for 12 Years a Slave. Yes, she did. And does she do anything like riding rhinos or no, things like that? No, she gets some... Um, she's uh, she's the spine. She's the sort of ostensible love interest of T'Challa. It's, it's, got a, it's got a really impressive, you know, between sort of... It's got Winston Duke, Sterling K. Brown, who at the minute is sort of the man at the moment he um, he's in... God, I'm not going to remember the name, of, the name of his TV series is in, but he's recently recently won. I think he won the Emmy and the Globe for it. I don't know that one. I'm afraid. Um, uh, this is Us. Oh right, is he in This Is Us? That's one I just keep hearing about when watching monologues from late night American talk shows, but um, I've never actually it's seen one of those, an episode of it. It's one of those things where it's like I really should watch that, and then yeah, either either I will end up watching it and it will be really good and I'll be like why didn't I watch this sooner or I won't watch it and then I will never know so yeah. uh, uh, and Angela Bassett plays well, Angela Bassett's always been great she's yeah. great in Strange Days um, um, and like just For- Florence Whitaker For- sorry Florence Whitaker Forrest Whitaker <laughs> Florence For- his, his sister Kasumba like, as well yeah, yeah sorry Florence Kasumba and Forrest Whitaker like great actors in supporting roles and clearly you know people who've said yeah I want to be a part of this world I want to be a part of this story because they re- you know Marvel has never had a problem getting good actors but not not usually actors of this calibre in roles that are as supporting as these Michael Douglas I suppose in Ant-Man to go back to Ant-Man but he, like, he, he has more of a role I mean he's supporting but he's, he's like lead support one of the lead right, okay. supporting oh these like yeah, like, for, like yeah, Forrest Whitaker and like they 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 get a, they get a few scenes. There's actually looking at this. There's a couple of Star Wars links here. You know, as you were talking about the Last Jedi, so Lupita Nyong'o, of course, plays is it Maz in Katana Kanata Maz Maz Katana? I think it is. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, the, um, the little she, orange, yeah, the, yeah, the little orange sprouts in which is in. Also, against that last Jedi. Well, she's yeah, very that's right. Yeah, she's Jedi. Yeah, that's right. And um, Forrest Whitaker, of course, is also in Rogue One. Not as big of a role as the trailer would have. As is Andy Serkis. But in, um, in. Yes, in of course both he is, of, yeah. In both. So this is a Star Wars film. <laughs> Not well. <laughs> yeah, this is a film that when my toe was healed, I will go and see this film. It will be interesting, actually, because that's probably going to be. Well, it's going to be at least another week and a half before. Um, I'm due to have the stitches out, so we'll see if I can actually get off the crutches at that point. But so this will be out for about a month before I can go and see it. So 
yeah, I, I think it was it will still be playing. It will be interesting to see how many people are in the audience when I go and see it, um, because this could be one of those films like uh, well, not Titanic. I think was just like an anomaly, but that just played for months and months and months. Yeah, this, this could um, just run and run and run because that's, that's the thing. You know, people who missed it when it first came out, or people who have just sort of got an ongoing curiosity about it. It's interesting that I say yeah, what I was said earlier about in terms of um, Disney. Uh, about about the Last Jedi and the fact that this is also a Disney film, and the idea that Disney is also to an extent, yeah, is grappling with the idea of of nostalgia and as part of the wider narrative within its films and what to keep and what to let go and how you negotiate between those things, mm. um, which is you know pretty mature filmmaking. Like it's, it's like a meta narrative. I mean, yeah, Disney's kind of aware of the meta narrative of these things and of nostalgia. And the fact that they are marketing films, you know, that, that, you know, to people who remember, you know, I really liked Iron Man a decade ago and therefore out of habit, you know, even if they're not always particularly good, even if they're just good, you know, decent cinema experiences, um, I will go, I will continue to go and see these. And, but the fact that that Disney's going, actually, that's something that we can, can that can be interestingly addressed in these films. And actually will help build in some longevity into franchises that might otherwise run out of steam, like Star Wars could have done. Yeah, it is interesting that, because it's... Now we're a decade on into the Marvel project, Um, and it's actually 18 years since X-Men came out, which really proved this could actually make money and work. So... Wait, don't forget. Blade, we got a couple of... Well, that's true, we did get... um, Yeah, Blade, but I think the Blade wasn't... Obviously, it was a comic book film... But it was a comic book film that no one had heard of. And also, I think at that time, vampires were more of a box office draw and just more... The fact he was a superhero was a bit, was almost a bit... Well, kind of downplayed in a way. He was a vampire who could walk around in the daytime. That was more than than him being a superhero, I think. Although he... And I think all of his powers were kind of attributed to what... If vampires could do because it was interview with the vampire was out at that point and I think Buffy was about a year. When away. was the second one? Like two thousand two. The second Blade, I think, was because the first one was ninety six, wasn't it? And of course, yeah, we should we should mention Blade because Blade oh, yeah. has African American lead and was yeah, you're right. Was you can look at it in a way saying actually this was the first of the new and, superhero and, and, films. and it's cheating a bit. Spawn. Yeah. Because he's largely. I don't know anything about Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, as we were just talking about Blade 2, it's like, yeah, that, yeah, that's a pretty interesting film. Whatever became the director of that? <laughs> yeah, indeed. And so, yeah, Blade 2. It's weird, actually, because Blade. No, sorry, um, Blade was 98. Yeah, so Buffy was around at that point as a TV series. Um, an interview with the Vampire had, I think, been released four years earlier. But vampires were very much still in the zeitgeist so I think there it's it was born out of that as much as it or maybe even more than it being a superhero film but it, it's a Marvel superhero franchise with a black lead um, Steel that, don't, yeah it's the, the terrible film Steel Did go you, on look, uh, look at that <laughs> I, 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 2 was uh, 2002 obviously directed by Guillermo del Toro who yeah is an alright he's, 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 he's done some things <laughs> okay Steel what's this then Starring Shaquille O'Neal. Oh wow! And Gish. I'd watch that. Shaquille O'Neal and Annabelle Yeah, Gish it's, it's and interesting Nelson. that Steele very earnestly tries to deal with to- like serious topics about community and guns on the street. 
Okay. <laughs> in a film that um okay, it's also got Richard Roundtree in it, um, who was yeah, one of the big stars of seventies black exploitation films. So he's a weapons designer, so John Henry Irons designs weapons for the military. It's a bit like an Iron Man. Though. Yeah, he's uh and he goes up against the gangs who have guns. Hmm. Well, it looks a bit cheap. Um I'm sure it's one of those that it would be interesting if it was revived for a series. So well, Steel. Um, have you seen it? Uh, yes, many years ago. But you know, but you know that you've heard that they're actually bringing Shaft back. And, and this isn't a joke. I'm, this isn't like a setup. Shaft. Stuff. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, and but they're doing a. Three, um, uh, well, Jesse T. Usher is playing the newest, the newest generation. But they're bringing it back with Samuel L. Jackson and Richard Roundtree. They're doing oh, three wow. generations. Oh wow. There's a, there's a really good there's a really good po- a picture of them of them out all sort of striding out side by side wearing their trench coats and it's. Because, yeah, because the Shaft movie with Sam Jackson was one of those that I really wanted to like. But I think now he's only really notable for having Christian Bale in a kind of a mainstream American film role before he became Batman. And it's not very good, is it? <laughs> it's, um, I remember watching it thinking, oh, I just love the idea of, of, of there being a Shaft with Sam Jackson and this film is not as good as I hoped it would be. Um, anyway. It's going to be interesting to see how the new one, but presumably it will engage with the idea of how Shaft, how his relevancy as a figure has changed, and like what it means that this that we're onto the third generation, and you know, fourth, and in terms of like black cinema, and in terms of going from black exploitation to a point at which you know, Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, indeed, definitely. Uh, it's got Samuel L. Jackson in it, so <laughs> yeah, Samuel L. Jackson's always well. Sometimes I think he does a bit of a Nick Cage and just coasts well, on his he, he's on his twitches. Highest grossing actor of all time, I think, isn't he? Is he? I think because he might be. He's definitely because he's because been... of all the yeah, because all the Marvel films and Star Wars. Because there was yeah. a point when it was Sir Ian McKellen, wasn't it? Because of Lord of the Rings and X Men movies. It's ages ago now. Yeah, Sam Jackson. There, yeah. there is at least one film yeah. starring with him in that I'm looking forward that's coming out. I think this year, Incredibles two. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. I'm looking forward to that. Yes, of course, because he and that also made well the first one made a ton of money, didn't it? So that would have added to. Uh, yeah, so if you, so, <laughs> we seem to have wandered into the uh, superhero thickets. We have wandered, not helped by the fact that you are an army of one on this particular discussion. Yeah, I think with this, I'm excited by it. My excitement is tempered by the fact that um, kind of getting a little bit bored of Marvel now. I thought that Thor Ragnarok was one of those that. I liked it more than you did. I liked it because it was funnier than I thought it would be, but no desire to see I mean, no desire to see that film again. I'm Two and a quarter hours watching that again. It's now on, but it's on home release on VOD. Really like the Sky Store. From, uh, <laughs> from, from tomorrow, from, uh, from the, tw- uh, the 26th of Feb. Uh, I may end up downloading it just because I'm curious. Like, people really like that film. They do, that film. Really and it's one of those that, like, have I missed something? But people really like Doctor Strange, and I went back and watched a bit of Doctor Strange, and it and I I just gave up on it. It's like I'm sorry, but I cannot spend two hours watching this when there are other films I haven't seen yet. There, there is, there's all all there's other films that I love that I could go back and watch again, and or I can just not spend two hours watching this because I. There are others, like because if, because there are other options. <laughs> That's the thing is that it's not. The films, the Marvel films, does this stand up? Is this one of those Marvel films, sorry, that you would go back and watch again? Well, I'm seeing it again on Tuesday. Of course you are, yeah. That's um, 
So just rub it in. That's fine. Yeah, because you're going to go along and film before. You know, yeah, yeah, I'll, 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 uh, I'll probably see it a third time if I get the chance. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> and that's the time that you'll film it for me. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, yeah, to uh, to paraphrase, uh, get out. And that's the uh, starring. Oh yeah, starring of course, Daniel Kaluuya, yeah. the uh, best actor nominee, yeah, best picture nominee. And that's coming up in the uh, fast approaching, the uh, yeah, Oscars. The Oscars next week, week? next Sunday, yeah, yeah, today. Are we? I think I'm. Are you? Are you? What are your thoughts on that? I've not booked the day off. I'm gonna have to see if I can book the day off. I yeah, may be able to justify it as a work. I'm going to see if I can get the day booked off. Hello. Michael, could you say something? So that person there who just walked out of the room, if, if the coughing did pick up, that's the guy. <laughs> so you have to say something now, Michael, because you might be in the podcast anyway. <laughs> We're probably going to get responses to this, being like, we want more of that guy. Like, <laughs> Why don't you guys... <laughs> Was that guy coughing in the background? Was he all right in the end? Because we're actually quite quite worried about that. Can you just confirm that you're all right? <laughs> Oh. oh, well, he's walking about, so that's fine. <laughs> We've actually got drama now in an effort. We've actually yeah, got drama. Have you got cold? Like it. Yeah. Oh. Well, I hope you feel better. Or just stay in. Or just stay in, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it's what we have. You make one noise now, brush <laughs> Then we might. We, just, uh, stop we just keep showing people how the sausage gets made and eventually they're like look after a certain point you're going to have to stop showing us how the sausage got made and just give us some fucking sausage because look it works so, so to speak yeah give me my sausage it works for Mrs Brown's boys does too. it though um, yes for an, an annoying amount of people it does my mum when she was talking and this is really off topic now saying one of the great things about Mrs Brown's boys is that sometimes they leave in the, the parts that go wrong when they all start laughing it's like that's because they couldn't be asked to think of two minutes more of material and so they just got lazy and left in all the shit that went wrong. That's not innovative. <laughs> no, I, I, want, I want to see that in everything. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, dude, I want to see that in Black Panther where the green screen didn't work or something like that. Do you not see how it just takes you out of the illusion? That... Well, have you seen the behind-the-scenes footage of uh, Tom Cruise breaking his ankle? No, I haven't seen that. On what? Um, on Mission Impossible. Um, oh, uh, the new one? Yeah, they, they oh, essentially they released it and, uh, he, you know, he sort of, you know, he, he runs to the side of the building, he's got a harness on, he jumps and he hits the side of the building and that's the thing, he wasn't meant to make the jump, he was meant to hit the side of the building yeah. and not sort of, you know, really, but it just, he probably wasn't meant to hit it in such a way that you can see his ankle buckle. Hey, hey, hey. And, um, you know, he finishes the take. You know, anyway, looking like a man who has just thrown himself at the side of a building, you know, he gets himself up and he keeps on going. So that's probably going to be in the film. Oh, wow, okay. That'll be interesting to watch. I'm looking forward to that one as well. What's the new Mission Impossible um, one called? It's called Mission Impossible. It's got a very it generic... Nation or something? No, that was Rogue Nation, wasn't it? Wait, is it called? It's because they have released it and it's, it just won't stay in my brain. I've looked it up yeah, more than mine as well. Is it Mission... Um, Mission Impossible Fallout. Fallout. Yeah, indeed. Mission Impossible... Okay, so, just you start talking about the Oscars, by the way. Hey? Okay, I'll just you start talking about the Oscars. You can pick it up on that. <laughs> no, we're going to leave this in. I mean, it will be cut down a little bit, but um, I think some of your coffee might have picked up some. I'm going to have to yeah, make some, some reference to it. <laughs> I know you were, bless you, Arlie. It was an involuntary response. Um, <laughs> so this will stay in as well now. And this. And this. And this. We're caught in the cycle now. You are, sorry? Just we've got this rehearsal start again at eight. <laughs> we've been going for um, 45 minutes and so we have another film to talk about. <laughs> what usually happens is we're, Rob will talk about cutting something and then I'll talk about it later on in the podcast to ensure that it has to stay in. Yeah, just like, <laughs> okay. good, good luck getting out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cut to cut this now. 
Sorry, so we are now back after my flatmate having gone to work. So uh, just a little peek behind the curtain there. Again, after a certain point, we will need to stop giving people peeks behind the curtain. Because I think... Just give us the fucking show, mate. I don't want to see the background. Right. Because <laughs> obviously, you know, when, when Dorothy finally got to see behind the curtain, it turned out to be really, like... It really fulfilled everything that they that's hoped right. about the wizard. I that's think right. you know, it's, it's like always look behind the curtain because that's where all the, the magic, all, all the wonder is. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. So the Oscars. We'll see if I can get the day off work this week. Um, that'll be good. There was something else. Yes, your point about uh, not having any homework on all the cultural references that are in costume design and the set design and the script, etc., etc. So I don't think that the filmmakers want anyone to do their homework to come and see this film. I think they want them to be entertained. But it would be good to have an audio commentary, I was thinking, where they talk about... I'm sure they will, I'm sure. ...about the cultural aspects of this and to get a cultural commentator on there. Definitely the Marvel film would be most interested to actually hear the audio commentary on because mm. what are they going to say about Ant-Man? Yeah. <laughs> like, what are they going to talk about? It's like... Yeah, um, well, Edgar Wright came up with a lot of these ideas. But we can't talk about that. We can't talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) We can't talk about that at all. When did they? Re- when do you think they recorded the uh, audio commentary on Baby Driver? Because I'm sure there are bits they can't can't, yeah, can't talk about this scene. Can't really talk about this scene. Is there a commentary on, uh, on there's Baby Driver? Uh, there's got to be. Yeah, and but presumably they did it record been, it. Yeah, it before been, the yeah, before they, yeah, they probably did it before the film was released at the cinema. Can you imagine you're going in to record the audio commentary on this film and then just before you, on your way in, somebody who doesn't like you very much just shows the little thing about Kevin. You're like, oh great, now I'm going to have to have that in my head and try not to talk about that. Why could I just not have, why couldn't we all just not have known? Apparently, (laughs) (laughs) That's the lesson to take from this. Why can't we just not have known about anything? Why can't we (laughs) just live in ignorance forever? (laughs) <laughs> Nothing bad will happen. Anyway, so um, but in terms of Marvel films, um, yeah, the ones that I go back to are Thor and uh, the original Thor, which I thought was very well done, and Winter Soldier. And Winter Soldier, by far, I think is the best Marvel film that they've done so far that I've seen. Iron Man three, actually, I like that. That's there just aren't many of these films that I go back to. Because that's because I mean, Winter Soldier works because it's also again the fact that it's a superhero film is less kind of less important. Than the fact it's like a Cold War thriller, mm. like a paranoia a thriller. Good, that's right. And the way that you know Spider Man Homecoming is good because it's partially a John Hughes film. Spider Man Homecoming actually that is one that I'm quite looking forward to. Watching I, I, re- I rewatched it and it does hold up, including the part where. Peter Parker almost 9-11's New York City. Yeah, I don't think that's quite what <laughs> he did it. He almost 9-11'd. No, because that suggests that he got into a plane himself and aimed it at a building and then decided not to do it. Well, he got into a plane and almost caused it to crash in a heavily populated civilian area. He tried to steer a plane away from the... It was only going towards those things because he'd got in and fucked everything up. But it was one despite the moral, despite part of the moral of the story being, don't do that. I think there was a reason why he had to make sure that plane didn't reach its destination, and he crashed it in an area where nothing bad happened. So, almost doing a nine eleven is like I think quite harsh. We will talk about. We will save all the controversial stuff towards the end of this. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Well, yeah, because they now know that we're yeah good, fully paid up liberals. So now we can come out with stuff that's really (laughs) ill advised. Speaking of which, he's Martin Freeman um, and Andy Serkis. They're good in this film. 
Yeah, I mean, Andy Serkis gives a very broad, cartoonish, you know, villainous performance as Ulysses Claw with his South African accent that I will not attempt to duplicate <laughs> based on based on, on a prior prior experience whenever I try and do an accent or a voice during the podcast. Um, Always do your voices wrong. Uh, yeah, he gives he gives a performance that feel, it feels like it's, it's a mocap performance without any of the, like, in terms of its expressiveness, without him being covered in the little dots. And so do you reckon that Ryan Coogler was a... Does, does he think he's going to be an alien in this or something? He does know this is it, doesn't he? <laughs> but he, he's, he's very good with it. And um, and Martin Freeman's fine. Doesn't get very much to work with. There's a good laugh where they ref- where you know he gets called a coloniser. They go they go one of them, and it's like that's yeah, funny. He's he's mostly there to be like to kind of goggle at Wakanda and uh, uh, not my joke, but, but be the tourist. Yeah, him, him, he, obviously he and Andy Serkis were both in Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, the Hobbit films and given that they are the only two sort of white members of the supporting cast, make them, again, not my joke, wish I'd come up with it, the Tolkien white guys. <laughs> Very good. And Martin Freeman, of course, was in Civil War. That was the film where he was introduced. Okay, so, yes, we will have more to say about Black Panther when my decidedly non-superheroic body decides to heal itself. All of this for a broken toe. The only thing I can say is don't go to the gym. Do not try and self-improve. Um, it just just lands you with lots of hot water. Just stay yeah. home, listen to podcasts and drink, basically. Yeah, know. and uh, yeah, watch, watch movies, including Marvel movies, once. So when I do get the chance to see this film we will talk about it some more but thank you for your thoughts Rob and it sounds like it's been a success overall yeah I think it's done well will continue to do well and I wonder if they I wonder if Marvel's got a sequel feels like Marvel probably have a sequel on the cards already they will definitely have a sequel now if they hadn't got one before it's like it's done how much in two weeks or um, uh, over two thirds of a billion um, okay then uh, how, yes. how long did it take um, Justice League to limp to wasn't it one of those things where Justice League, I think, in the end, petered out as something, and I could be way off here, between 250 million to 300 million. I read that this film, Black Panther, had done what Justice League did in its entire run in something like three days. <laughs> so DC must again be looking and going, what do we have? To, why can't we do this? And also, on that note, very disappointed that Joss Whedon has dropped out of the Batgirl film. Apparently he just didn't have a story. Yeah, Hopefully that's the case, because there was he came in for a bit of a bashing when his wife revealed that he'd been a bit of a philanderer with some of his female co-stars um, or actresses that he'd that he worked with. Anyway, there's you know, a whole lot of things to get into there. But I think he would have made a very good Batgirl if he'd been working from Gail Simone's run, and it's a shame that he's not going to do it. It's what I think. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he would have done a good job. I think there are other people who can do the can do the job. Yeah, I just at this point having, having I just don't think after, the DC know where they live. Yeah, I say after after Age of Ultron and uh, Justice League, you know, much as I'm a Justice League defender, I don't. I think I think Joss Whedon should not do I, much as much. If if Joss Whedon was going to do a superhero film, I want him to do Batgirl, but I don't need to see another Joss Whedon superhero film. It's like I like you, Joss. Go away. Do what you need to do. Come back and make some good telly. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, yeah, that's or even just do, valid, do but... another black and white Shakespeare adaptation. I like, I like to, I like to do, much to do about nothing. <laughs> I just think that he's best when he's focused on like a single character or um, a group that's led by you know, one particular character. And you know, the Avengers films didn't really give him that, and to be honest, Justice League didn't give him that, and Batgirl seemed so perfect for that. But anyway, yeah. So going from something that has done very well and was 
successfully executed to something that is none of that. Um, so yeah, out of the two films this year involving somebody with a strange affinity with water who doesn't have the ability to speak... Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. Go and see The Shape of Water. Do not go and see Mute, the new film from Duncan Jones, which was a Netflix premiere. And when I heard originally it was going to be a Netflix premiere, which was months and months ago now, I thought, oh, great, excellent. Oh, I'm really happy about that. Um, oh, they do it so well, don't they? It's, it's... Then I saw Cloverfield Paradox and... And I haven't seen Bright, but everyone said that Bright was shite. It's and, almost like um, their subscription model isn't necessarily based on quality. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because I watched Punisher. Punisher was great. But there hasn't been a film... Okja. Okja's the one great film that they've had as a Netflix premiere. And every other film, even stuff like The Babysitter, it's really good fun, but come on, it's, it's not great. I think they require their TV... I think TV... I think the TV especially the Marvel projects, probably have a degree more oversight and they actually need them to be good because if you're going to get people to sit down and commit to 10 hours of television, it needs to be of a certain quality. Whereas these projects, films like 10 Cloverfield, and, uh, sorry, 10 Cloverfield, 10 Cloverfield is really good. The Cloverfield Paradox, a title that basically just goes, oh, this film doesn't make any sense. And Mute are, yeah, I just kind of, it's enough that they exist and they're on there and bright, that, that people will watch them. And I'm really genuinely disappointed about Mute. I first heard about Mute um, when Duncan Jones came uh, to the London Film School when I was 21 and there was a screening of Source Code and um, and I was I was a big fan of Moon Moon was one of my you know Moon was one of my best cinema going experiences I saw it in an essentially and it, it almost like a deserted cinema the, almost the building was deserted and the screen I was in was empty and it was in the you know right in the corner and it was quite a small quite a large screen and it's like oh it's a film about isolation is an isolation is <laughs> all you know coming face to face with yourself and that was the perfect environment to see it in. Um, but at the screening of uh, Source Code at London Film School, he uh, he sort of talked briefly about Mute and how he had this idea. Uh, and, and what did he say the film was at that point? Well, yeah, he just kind of said, well, look, you know, I've got an, Id- an idea for a film that's set in the same universe. It's like a sci-fi film noir, which, as it turns out, is, uh, he came up... He, he made Moon because he couldn't get the budget to make Mute. Wow. And Mute definitely feels like an an earlier, less refined project. Mm. Yes, it really and, does. And, you know, and as so I it was one of my proudest moments of, of geek cred that I sort of, you know, at the Q&A, I sort of, talk, sort of put my hand and sort of said, you know, I obviously got Scott, Scott, Scott Bakula to voice J.J. John Hall's dad on the phone. Uh, at one point, he, he even gets... For source code. Yeah, for source code, sorry. And, uh, he, you know, and he actually has the line, oh boy, which was famously his catchphrase in Quantum Leap. You know, did you, and I sort of went, did you ask him to say that? Were you just, you know, did he did he suggest it? Was it originally in the script? You know, what had that come about? And Duncan Jones praised me for knowing, for having recognised it was him and picked up on that. And I was like, that is that is cool. That is that is that's, that's why we do this. Yeah, that's why we do and this. for you guys. <laughs> um, also, when you saw Moon, you were in Dubai, weren't you? I wasn't. Yeah. So yeah, I, which is an arid landscape yeah. as well, <laughs> that often I'm sure is is. Uh, Inhospitable as the surface well, of the moon. If they you... shot scenes in Force Awakens there. They um a lot lots of um Jakku is Dubai. Oh right, yes. All that all that stuff in the in the in, yeah. the, in, the, in the desert. That's all Dubai. Yeah. Okay. I like you. I really liked Moon. Yeah, I really liked Moon. And my formative musical influence was David Bowie. And this, of course, is Zowie Bowie. He now goes by the name Duncan Jones, which I think is maybe like a better name for a grown up. So Moon was like, oh wow, so David Bowie's son has directed a film and it's got Sam Rockwell in it. Okay, well that's going to be good. Well, it's going to be interesting, let's have a look. And went along to a screening of it, to a press screening of it with um, our friend Tim. We both walked out saying that was 
immeasurably better than I thought it was going to be. That was so clever and so involving and pretty much a one-hander. But what an inventive concept that was. And this is yeah, this is one of the great sci-fi films of the noughties. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And then Source Code came hey, out. That guy who Source... voices the robot. <sighs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Slightly unfortunate that. <laughs> this is Kevin Spacey, isn't it? It is. <laughs> um, so, yes... Yeah, a bit of a shame. Anyway, but Matt Berry's in it as well. He's a he's a figure on a video screen, isn't he? And that's great as well. Then Source Code came out, and Source Code was like, "Oh, brilliant! Yeah, I'll watch this. This looks really interesting. It looks like uh, yeah, another high concept sci-fi film this guy's doing." And to be honest, I liked it. I thought it was good. I thought it was also one of those where it's like, "Okay, you are going to be a really good filmmaker, a really good commercial filmmaker, because you are clearly tailoring the high conceptness of Moon, which didn't appeal to everyone, but they were wrong." into something that has elements of a thriller and like an action film about it. So therefore, this is good. This is what Christopher Nolan also was doing at that time as well. And then that just turned out to be wrong and he never and he never really... And he kind of got swallowed up by the studio system, made Warcraft, which was... I was, you know, I, can, I think that's more, maybe more, more, more genuinely a passion project there because then people, you know, people then, you know, say, oh, he just did it because it's the big studio film. It's like, maybe he's, he's actually really, you know, wanted to... Indulge in some world building and be involved in like Lord in his own Lord of the Rings. Well, he said because the because the narrative that everyone wanted to believe with Warcraft was that he did Warcraft so he could get the money to do Mute, and he came out and said, "No, I did Warcraft because I really wanted to do Warcraft because I really like the world and yeah, everything that you've just said." And having seen Mute, I now completely believe him. <laughs> I thought he's he wasn't just playing the game. Well, Mute. This, you know, I don't think it, I'd be interested to know the budget because there are um, it's set in ne- in a, in like a it's a neo noir set in a s- vaguely futuristic Berlin that definitely cribbed some design notes from uh, from Blade Runner, mm. um, but it looks like and it's and, and strange enough it's not the only Netflix production that applies to because um, recently their their massive budget series Altered Carbon did uh, did much the same and. I'd be interested to know if their production schedules overlap because Mute, there are a couple of exterior sets, or quote-unquote exterior sets for Mute, and it's like, I'm pretty sure that's just altered carbon. I'm pretty sure you've just slightly changed the set dressing. And that's entirely plausible. Um, I mean, it makes sense from a budgetary perspective, but it does kind of suggest how invested they were, quote-unquote. Well, it's one of those, as I said earlier, this is one that months ago heard that it was coming out, thought really good, excellent. Then, with the recent crop of Netfield, um, Netfield, Netflix original films, got a bit worried. And then it was you who um, who came over to my desk at work and said that Mute is getting an absolute panning, one star review bad. And I think that this is a problem for Netflix because there's only going to be a certain amount of times that you can do this before you have to give them another good film. Everything's now riding on Annihilation. Annihilation has to be. A good film because Netflix have been recently, really recent months, trying to sort of become the de facto king of streaming sci-fi. Mm-hmm. You know, between this and Altered Carbon and the Cloverfield Paradox, uh, you know, often apparently buying them up from studios who, you know, because um, Annihilation and Cloverfield Paradox are both Paramount. Yeah, buying them up from studios who don't have the the confidence in them or don't don't basically don't think they're going to make their money at the at the theatre. But it's interesting that Annihilation was released in the states at the theatre this weekend. It did eleven million dollars. I'm not entirely sure how many screens it was it was released on, but let's have a look. 
the number four film of, of the weekend released on 2,000 screens, so not, not a small amount of screens, um, and yeah, it's done $11 million. Um, Only slightly less than Peter Rabbit. But that's been out for a few weeks. Uh, so yeah, so... But I just think... Jumanji that, is still at number six. That yes. is astonishing. Yeah, indeed, it's done just under 400 million. So Mute, is it set about 100 years in future? 40, I think. Not that that matters. Mm. It yeah, could be well, set yeah. at any point in the none, none too distant future. Yeah, indeed, that's right. There isn't really anything, apart from the flying cars. That's that's it, really, isn't it? Um, a Mute bartender goes up against his city's gangsters in an effort to find out what happened to his missing partner, his girlfriend. And it's set in... Well, it's set in Berlin, and of course, his dad made three amazing albums while in Berlin, and you think, and he spent time there as a kid, and he presumably had some formative moments in Berlin. There's nothing about it that says this is Berlin. And Berlin is, is an amazing city. I love Berlin, and um, that have been there every year for the past four years, I think. And it's just, it is such a wonderful, vibrant city. One of the real disappointments of this film, as soon as it started, was this is all going to be sets and back lots and green screen isn't it there's going to be nothing here this is not going to be like when Goddard did Alphaville and basically just went to bits of Paris that looked odd and shot a futuristic film that still looks a bit weird and futuristic but just chose the architecture that fit his vision this is just a film that at times looks slightly telly from the late 90s I thought it's so generic it's I mean again I mean, I think he initially wrote it as a non-sci-fi script. In fact, I think he wanted to shoot it in Japan with Ken Watanabe. Wow, that would have been immediately immediately more more interesting. (laughs) Because you would have had the architecture there, and you also would have had, to be honest, a more interesting actor than Alexander Skarsgård, who I think can be good, but you're right. The Shape of Water, Sally Hawkins, it's not a spoiler to say that she doesn't speak in the film because she can't speak, and that is established very, very early on. But she is an absolutely charismatic presence throughout that whole film. Alexander Skarsgård just reminded me... Do you ever watch Harry Enfield? Yes. Do you remember those brothers? Those <laughs> <laughs> the brothers going, oh! He reminded me of the tall, lanky one of them. All just, the time. All he, had, all he <laughs> did in the film was just give these plaintive looks of desperation. That was his one... Yeah. And it was another one of those things where he is... I mean, this... Okay, let's just get into this film. He's, he's Amish... And as a kid, he has an accident where, like, an outboard motor or something on a boat seems to have ripped out part of his throat. One of those, I've, he- I've heard those outboard motors are a key, you know, uh, of, you know, cause of accidents on in Amish communities. In Amish communities. <laughs> and I couldn't quite work out, well, is... Are they not Amish? Because, anyway, it was, the film does not make a lot of sense. And his throat gets ripped out, but he survives, and the doctor says we can even try and save his voice, but his parents say, no, he needs to come home, it's in God's hands, etc., etc., as the Amish are wont to do. So, he... Well, they are. Um, sorry, no, sorry, yeah, I just... I know, but it's... it's just, <laughs> that's just, I just wonderfully... Sometimes you come across a sentence, you're like, I've never heard that sentence before, I will likely never hear it again in my <laughs> life, I just will not organically enter into anything, as the Amish are wont to do. <laughs> but... So he grows up, he doesn't have a voice, um, he works in this bar, and he has a girlfriend called Nadira, is that how you say it again? Yeah, who's got blue hair and white skin and no personality. Yeah, zero personality, and I've, I don't think I've seen anything else that Zeynab Salah, the actress, has been in before, but she was not great in this, and I'm not sure if it was one of those where she wasn't being directed 
well enough. She certainly wasn't being given very good dialogue, but it was one of those where I thought, you, you're you just a look. You are basically an anime character that's been brought to life, which again, yeah, doesn't surprise me that this was originally going to be set in Japan. You All you have to do is look cute and say that you love this guy, and that is the extent of your characterization. And then you go away. And then you go away. Yeah, maybe no one could bring anything to that role, because... It's one of those things where this doesn't land. I don't buy him as being someone that she would want to be with. I don't buy her as being someone that he would risk his life to find out what happened to her. We're told that they have this amazing love that will overcome all. It just never rings true at all. And I I could excuse a lot of that if Mute worked as a detective story. And that's the other thing, is that... He doesn't. He just wanders around, and when the film decides it's time for him to know some bit of information that's going to help him find out what's happened, it just kind of gives it to him. He does literally does one reasonably clever thing in the whole film in that you know that you think, oh, I, I, actually that's a reasonably intelligent and actually works for the infrastructure of this world. When he tries to, uh, where it turns out that you can get food delivered to your phone. So he tries to oh, send yeah. food to her phone to figure out where it is so he can follow the... Yeah, follow that's right. And it's like, that's actually, that's not a bad idea. But in that's... a film otherwise bereft of them. But that should have been the first thing he did. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's not, is it? It's, no, he... No, it's a, it, it comes late in the... That's the thing is that I was watching he's, this... He's already got in a fight with Noel Clark by that point. Yeah, Noel Clark's in this and I'm not... It's like a wide boy is. Yeah, I'm not... And he's... I... I don't think the Noel Clark is the best actor in the world, to be honest, and here he is not he was, even very good. He was dialogue. recently good in Son Number Nine. Yes, he was, that's right. Yes, he was good in that, wasn't he? And actually no no, it's um he was also good in there's that Sky Arts Urban Myths where he plays Muhammad Ali. I he was seen that. he I was know. good in that. Um, it's the one where Muhammad Ali talks down the guy who's gonna jump out of the window. Okay, that's and yeah, so actually Noel Clark can do it when the material's good. It's not good here and he doesn't Impress. And to be honest, I was half hour into this film thinking, do you know what? My foot hurts. <laughs> um, I'm not enjoying this. I might just turn it off. And Paul Rudd then appeared. And <laughs> I thought, all right, a new character has appeared. Because it's, it's a lot of time just with Alexander Skarsgård. And he's not doing much. And so you're kind of just watching someone walk around, not very interesting looking sets and bat lots, not doing anything. And it's like, oh, okay, right, so you've got a new character here. Okay, well, I'll I'll give it, like, another few minutes. Like, I did watch the entire film. But Paul Rudd as Cactus Bill... Um, he's like an underground surgeon working for... The, uh, 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 who's, a, who's a GI surgeon who's gone AWOL, who's working, uh, like, doing, like, you know, underground... Like, doing, like, backstreet jobs for the mob. While so he can get some false papers for him and his daughter. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and, he, and he's got, you know, his mate... Who's duck? Who's just Justin through wearing like John Lennon specs with like a, a young Steve Jobs haircut, and them just kind of bantering as they sew people up and they go and drink beer and do bowling, and it's kind of, I think, well, like it's kind of a bit the Big Lebowski and a bit the Naked Lunch and a bit. And you said it that they were based on Hawkeye and Trapper John from Match. Yeah, and it's like wow, okay, that didn't come through because the writing's not there. And to be honest, they're two good actors and they kept the film watchable for me. But the character choice for the Justin Theroux character is 
odd and Shall. completely unearned. It's um he he basically has an unhealthy interest in young girls and keeps talking about this inappropriately. In like a dazed and confused kind of... I'm not entirely sure why you're getting so upset by this, Paul Rudd. Because Paul Rudd's character has a young daughter, so therefore, yeah. But they are best mates. And and, and and it's obviously very... It's Paul Rudd doing intense. Yeah, and it's... um, He's he's got his usual, like, you know, he's very, you know, he's very... It's him doing like a really mean version of his usual character, I think. But the thing there that was, I thought, this is odd. It's odd because if you have a character in a film and that character has an unhealthy interest in children. That's the only thing that that character's about. But in this, that's supposed to be one of the things that he's about. And it's like, no, no, you have to go down the happiness route and you have a character who is a paedophile. But here it's like, he's different things. He just keeps saying these sort of things. And it's like, no, 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 this completely overwhelms everything else about this character. And also Paul Rudd as well, because of how he's having to react to it. Why is this a subplot in this why is this a character trait in this film? But, well, it doesn't know, mirror do, do you know why it's on a scarf. Do you know why I think it's there? Go on. Because I think the film in, at the beginning, and I only got this towards the end, is implicitly trying to, and really badly trying to relate the idea of his parents not letting, not giving him the surgery to child abuse. I yeah. think it's trying to set up the idea of, of, of abuse as a running theme throughout this, and just not landing it there, yeah there is an argument for that it's the only thing that makes sense to be honest I don't think it lands it at all and I think that if he comes out and says yeah that's what I meant it's like then this was the first draft of the script and the... I just think that's what it feels like yeah it feels like he because you said that he made Moon because he couldn't make this it feels like he just put this in a drawer and he wrote it years and years ago this this reminded me of Southland Tales a lot in that you've got this big world and you've got a couple of interesting ideas in there but you have a story that just goes nowhere it ambles around for two hours it goes nowhere and like Southland Tales had that whole thing about the military being sponsored by the corporations there's an underlying plot point in this is that there's a record number of American soldiers who are going AWOL and they're just all over Europe because they don't want to fight anymore in like you know, these bullshit wars. And you hear it on the radio and you see it on the TV sometimes and Paul Rudd talks about it. But it never really, it just comes across as, as like an idea he had, but he never really wanted to flesh it out. He like, could be asked to flesh it's it like, out. Oh, it's, that's really interesting. It's like, you know, the idea of a city and people waiting on papers and during the war. And it's like, oh, okay, there's a bit of Casablanca in there and there's a bit of the third man in there. And you... and you're not doing anything with this it's like you think that if you lift enough stuff like on whatever level from enough from, from enough classic films that's gonna it feels like a, a film school student script yeah it does it, it feels, feels like like from a, like a, a smart film school student who's seen a lot of films and has just gone I'll take that I'll take that I'll take that I'll take that and just hasn't done anything interesting with it there's nothing to justify it <laughs> and, and that's the thing I, and I and I wouldn't say he, it was a smart student either I would oh. say it's a student who just watched a lot of films yeah okay sorry yeah somebody sorry sorry is cinematically literate yeah well yeah but <laughs> I mean, in all fairness they are they are somebody's they... got Netflix to be honest so. um, there are we've and, gone to the classic section and that's the thing you know you sort of talking about Southland Tales you know or something like you know more recently Valerian but um, but that's the thing. This this is so constricted. It doesn't even have to get to have that feel of uninhibited imagination because mm. that's it either wasn't in the script or the budget didn't allow for it. And that's why you know all the stuff involving Cactus Bill and Duck feels so tonally odd because you know there are scenes you know when I call back to the Big Lebowski setting the bowling alley or 
And that's the thing. I, 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 I disliked this less than I disliked Valerian while acknowledging that Valerian is a better film. Oh, I had I much preferred Valerian. Valerian, perversely, is a film that I'll probably go back and watch again. Okay. This is a film that I'll never watch again. And The Big Lebowski, of course, has a pedophile yeah. character in it. It has Jesus. As I say, yeah. Um, you don't fuck with the Jesus. But the thing there is that, yeah, it's a two-hour film. He's in it for about three minutes, completely dominates the scenes that he's in, and is a grotesque. He is treated as black comedy, but he is a grotesque. And, and also, that's the only real thing about him, apart from the fact that he's good at bowling. We, you know the Coens want to make a film about him, with him as Lee, with... Um, no, no, I'm not just no, 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 a joke. No, no, yeah, this is listen to joke. With... Um, um, oh, God, what's his name going out of my head? John Turturro. John Turturro. Uh, uh, yeah, and I think they may even still be working on it. But that's the thing, like, I don't... Again, I'd be really intrigued to see what that film is because obviously the Coen brothers have a I, pretty good track record. Yeah, it's like, yeah, how do you take this character who is a grotesque, whose kind of defining you know attribute is be is eight year olds dude? Yeah, eight year olds dude. Yeah, oh right. god, Justin Theroux's character is a good bowler. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing is that he. That, is, like, I, I, he's, I just, I, I, I actually hadn't made that exact match. Yeah, I think that is just a direct reference wow. to the Jesus character in the Big Lebowski without knowing what to do with it. This film is a grand folly, and I don't know where Duncan Jones goes from this film. Let's think. I mean, I don't even. I, it's just not. It's not grand enough to be a grand folly. It's just yeah. kind of a folly. He was still one of those directors that could have become an important director. We all wanted him to be an important director because Moon was so great, and Source Code promised a lot, and you know, that he could work within the studio system. Warcraft is one of those where it's like, well, you know isn't the first time that a franchise has fallen over with a visionary director there, Alien 3 and David Fincher. So therefore, it's all still to prove. Mute comes out and it's like, no, this is this just doesn't work and it doesn't seem like the work of someone who did Moon or Source Code and I think, is he now spent? Do you know who we, want, who we actually all kind of wanted to be? Is that? Ryan Johnson. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Because that's right. Ryan, Ryan Johnson, you know, his first film was Brick, which mm. was a noir it was a noir set in high school and did something very, very particular with those tropes. And that was he, great. Yeah, and he did, and he did Looper. And this, I think, I can imagine Duncan Jones wanting this to have been his Looper because mm. Looper is a bit more sprawling and a little bit more, a little bit more weird in terms of what it does thematically and more ambitious. But it, but it fundamentally works. And, and it also establishes a proper sense of place as well. And Ryan Johnson is a filmmaker. There's always a degree of deconstruction in the stories that he's telling, and that's why I think he's, he was such an interesting pick for Star Wars and what he's brought to the Last Jedi. And but there isn't, there just isn't the awareness in Duncan Jones. I, I think Moon works because it's fundamental because it's a fairly simple story. It is, it's, and it's it's just yeah, I guess it's a one man coming face to face with himself, and and it's also a story that doesn't have to be, even though of course the twists and turns in there could only really be within a sci-fi film it doesn't have to be a sci-fi film no the reason it works isn't because it's it's a sci-fi film ironically it's because the character is so compelling um, and it's almost like the reason that Mute doesn't it, the, the, Mute, the reason Mute doesn't work isn't because it's a sci-fi film no it's, it's because yeah as I said when I texted you I just, this is Blade Runner by an undergraduate who's recently been dumped and that's what it is <laughs> it's um Anything more to say about Mute before we move on to the Cloverfield Paradox? I just... No. No. No, silence. The one thing, actually, that I would say, you talking about Valerian actually reminded me that The Fifth Element, which is a film that I didn't like, 
was written by Luc Besson when he was a teenager, and I don't think that he went back and yeah, revised that script either, because that film didn't work at all. There is the character of Luba, actually, in this, played by Robert Sheehan. Robert Sheehan, who's having a really weird career, who started off in Misfits and recently uh, was in Geostorm, and he's, and he's the lead in Mortal Instruments, the Peter Jackson film that's coming out. But yeah, in this at one point he appears with essentially the body of the uh, the woman in brain from the Matrix. But uh, he does he uh, got talking about the fifth element. He does wear a kind of um, hairpiece with kind of a transparent yeah. surrounding that, that that made me think, oh, that is just a visual reference to the fifth element. And I think when your film starts visually referencing the the, the fifth element, which is in itself visually referencing so many other things, then you really got nowhere to go. Dominic Monaghan's in this film as well. And oh, God, I didn't even talk about Don... As, um... Oswald. Oswald, who's a South African pervert who likes to dress up as a geisha and has polished wooden fuck robots. To be honest, that I thought was the best scene of the film because I was engaged because I was thinking, is that Dominic Monaghan? <laughs> I can't... It is, isn't it? I got, but I need to... It is him. To be honest, that whole set and just remind me a little bit of Blade Runner 2049... And because there was just a bit of conflict in the film, I thought yeah. the uh, there's one good killing by knife in this film that I thought, oh, that really is very well realised in terms of somebody realising this is going to happen and I can't stop it. <laughs> and now it's happened and I'm still alive. But it wasn't worth the wait. <laughs> and it is a two-hour film. It does go on. Uh, so, yeah, I was saying that I think the reason that I liked this more than Valerian is that I had the ability to get up so pause it, get up, and go and make myself lunch in the middle of it. Which is what I did when I watched Valerian. Did stop twice, make a cup of tea. Whereas you were trapped in a cinema, weren't you? Um, yeah, my, my option for getting out, you know, instead of pushing in front of people because I was, in, you know, I was in the front row, was to you know go over the top of the uh, of the balcony <laughs> in the super screen <laughs> at, in, in, the, in the Empire. Now the cinema less square. And I have to say, at points I was tempted. I was like, this has been going on so long. I could just, uh, I, could I? Would I survive that fall? Maybe not, but I'm willing to risk it. Make <laughs> yeah, it stop. Yeah, so Mute. When I heard that Mute was going to go to Netflix, I thought, great, excellent. Uh, Sorry, Florence Kasumba. Is that... Oh, yes. Oh, yes, she's in it as well from Black Panther. Oh, yeah. She's the... Um, the, the sort of maternal prostitute yes, who looks, yeah, who looks after Cactus's kid. Yes, that's exactly it. Wow, okay. So there you go. They they link there. They, it, all, it all links in. Uh, oh, and of course, Sam Rockwell has a cameo in this. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is directly linked into the Mooniverse. Boom. <laughs> um, that mostly like reminds you of just like our moon was really good. When I saw that Moon link, there is a scene in which it is linked to the Mooniverse. Um, I thought, Do you know, I haven't seen Moon in about eight years. I watched it a couple of times when it came out, and then again when um, it was on telly. But I've not seen it. Oh, let's watch Moon. So that was a nice bit of the film when I was thinking about Moon. Clint Mansell does the score. He's been doing quite a lot of anonymous. I mean, he did another film recently. Yeah, and what was that? Because yeah, he has been doing scores because he's so good. But his scores, yeah, recently he's been doing for what was it? He did something recently. I mean, and I thought it wasn't particularly. Well, maybe it was just a review of this I was reading that said. His score for Ghost in the Shell, which hasn't been released by the studio, is actually really good, but he just put it on websites to get it from that. But, yeah, I didn't think that this was a particularly good score. Well, maybe soundtrack remember. or music department? Mm, no. Mm. Hmm, that's odd. Yeah, I thought he'd done something else recently. Anyway. Something, um, something that was apparently so forgettable that it hasn't even made his IMDb page. Yes. 
Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so so that was mute. And yeah, I was really excited when I heard it was going to go to Netflix all those months ago. Cloverfield Paradox, of course, was a surprise drop to Netflix during the Super Bowl, wasn't it? There was a Super Bowl ad that said, it's going to be on after this. And you told me the next day. And it was like, oh, brilliant. So Cloverfield Paradox is just on Netflix now. Oh, wow, great. Um, and then he said, yeah, reviews have not been good. I like how I, I bring you the, I bring you the news like this film that you want to see is is out it's bad it's yeah. like, you know. that's the thing at the moment like you know, Netflix are doing this thing where they are just dropping these films there's always going to be a bit of excitement it's just there now I can just I can just watch it now and then if you're a film fan if it's good or not just becomes part of the conversation they are releasing eighty films this year to their platform that's almost two a week that is a lot of films they have to. St- start releasing good films soon yeah the Cloverfield Paradox was not I'll, I'll repeat originally written not not written to be part of the Cloverfield universe as, as an offense, this 10 Cloverfield Lane wasn't the right. 10 Cloverfield Lane wasn't particularly tied into that anyway the 10 Cloverfield Paradox is and it, as far as I can tell its title is essentially there to go oh it doesn't need to make any make any sense it's, it's a paradox it's fine don't, don't overthink it this was um, this was originally called God Particle, wasn't it? That was the script that was doing yeah. the rounds. Yes, like Ten Cloverfield Lane, which was a great film. This was then kind of retrofitted to be part of the Cloverfield universe. But do you know what? It's you watch this film and it's like, okay, so it might have been from God Particle, but what I'm actually watching is just a not very good remake of the Jake Gyllenhaal film Life and Event Horizon. And lifeless, lifeless, and none event horizon. Yeah, it's like, and I liked life. Was quite surprised at how much I enjoyed that film when I saw it last year. But if that that film came out last year, so I don't need a remake of that now. And I never liked Event Horizon, so I don't want to see a remake of it. So the plot and All like, the, and the, fact the plot of this makes less sense than the plot of Event Horizon. The plot of Event Horizon is based around the idea they've opened a doorway into hell. Yes, it's uh, <laughs> so. Orbiting a planet on the brink of war, scientists test a device to solve an energy crisis and end up face-to-face with a dark alternate reality. The idea that if we can solve the energy crisis, you won't need to have oil, everyone will have enough energy, we can just get on with evolving, is a good idea. Hmm. But from the very beginning of the Cloverfield Paradox, I thought they are just making the wrong choices here. The dialogue isn't good, and the fact that they keep crisscrossing between... The scientists on the space station, because it's such a risky experiment, they have to do it in space. And it's the Cloverfield Space Station. And the um, husband of the of the main character on Earth completely breaks any tension. And it's... Because and it just doesn't work. Well, because his scenes are essentially less interesting versions of just the plot from Cloverfield. If, as if, like, the plot from Cloverfield never really got started. and which is That's right. It's, um, and who was... He's Roger Davis, isn't it? Um, and up on the station is Google and Martha Raw. Yes. Um, who, well, yeah, she's good and he's all right. But the thing is, they're all just as with Mute, they've just got nothing characters. So therefore they are fine. And this has got a pretty cast, heavyweight yeah. cast. You've got David Ayelowo, uh, who is, is he the captain? Is he like, he's the, the lead? captain, but yeah, he wouldn't. Yeah. But yeah, you know only because somebody has to be. Yeah, that's right. Um, and Daniel Brühl and Chris O'Dowd, Zhang Ziyi in the first English language film that she's made in I think about a decade, and Elizabeth 
Debicki, John Ortiz, John Ortiz. I mean, this is a this is a good cast, and they just have nothing to do. And it's apart the, from sort of react to just weird stuff happening, the weird stuff that's like. Even when things are weird, it needs to have an internal logic. Or it needs yeah. to be one of those things where you set it up so that anything can happen and then anything happens. The stuff that happens here is actually really quite mundane. Like, if it happened right now, it would be, like... But the fact that it's, like... <laughs> <laughs> yes, a character loses an arm in this film, but because it's all a bit plastic reality, they don't die. And the arm goes to be Adam's family and still... <laughs> still there we go. Yes, still has some um, awareness. That's treated largely for laughs, and Ooh, I can't think of that... anything else in the film that is. I mean, there's there's a really really striking moment when they hear something within the walls of the space station, and there is a person in there, and a person's just appeared, and they are being like yeah, fused with all the wiring, and that I thought was really good and really striking, and seemed like something from a Tetsuo film, one of the Japanese man and machine films from the late eighties. And that was actually, I think, the best bit of the film for me. Other than that, the things about going to... or about alternate realities bleeding over into this world and that kind of stuff didn't really land, I didn't think. Well, I think one of the big issues is that it was the film called God Particle and it did have its own narrative and it very much... It apparently was more focused on the whole intrigue and the fact that the world is about to go... It's on the verge of war and can you trust... You know, you're surrounded by, you know, a, a... a, an international multiracial cast of people with different allegiances and what are they, are they are they secretly working to their own ends but that's touched upon here yeah. it's like there's um, a couple of arguments there where they have that kind of argument but it's dropped and yeah that's the thing and that's and that's like an actually interesting like what would happen to everybody on the on the international space station if the if nukes started going off on planet earth or you know or in a situation where they're isolated and they don't know what everyone else is intending but instead we get stuff like on earth there's they, the scientists are going you know we've got you've got pundits tv pundits going oh they're, they're setting off this thing in the orbit and is that going to create and they've got a character played by donald logue who's playing like a conspiracy theorist called mark stambler and i'm pretty sure stambler is the surname of of goodman john goodman's character in 10 cloverfield lane i'm pretty sure he's howard stambler wow well let's have a look um, and him going yeah they're gonna you know they could let through monsters mm. spoiler alert oh, it's called howard he might be called Howard Stambler. It doesn't say on the IMDb. And it also made like a bit of a spoiler, but there's a throwaway line to this. And because it's going to rip apart dimensions, it could happen at any point in time. And it's like, so mm. clumsy. <laughs> so clumsy in terms of trying to establish yourself as a Cloverfield this, film. It's like, oh yeah, Howard Stambler. Very, very good spot there. So he's a relation of... Presumably a relation of John Goodman's character from... Who also was like a bit of a conspiracy nut, wasn't he? Um, and uh, yes, okay. But that's the thing. Is but like, they were okay. both right. So no, sorry, right. I lose that term <laughs> very loosely in reference to <laughs> they are both right. But so the... in this world, are people a conspiracy theorist just generally right? I think that's one of the failings of this film is that it's like it to get across some tension rather than having someone saying this is a really good thing that we're doing we're trying to solve the energy crisis and prevent World War 3 there are risks around this you have a shrieking person saying bad things are going to happen because to be honest there's not a lot of tension in the plot at that point because they are trying to make this experiment work but they can't really explain what it is because it's nonsense science so therefore nothing really is happening it's part of the issue I think the fact that a lot of conspiracy theories nowadays tend to be right wing 
fund, you know, yeah. fundamentally right wing. And you end up, you end up in the same position that you do with something like the X Files. When when you when you when you start playing into conspiracy culture, you inevitably start playing into stuff that seems quite right wing. Mm-hmm. And, and if, especially if you end up condoning it or saying it's true. But I think yeah. Um, so it's like yeah. Uh, it turns out uh, all conspiracy uh, all, all all conspiracy theories are actually uh, true, and um, it's all the Jews. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The Jews Alien. within the Illuminati, within you know, it's like it's like you know, like an evil Russian nesting doll. It's all the Russians too. The Russians. Well, no, I think that's the one group that the right wing. Oh no, blame it's right not now. the Russians. It's not the Russians. It's, it's the everybody FBI. except the Russians. That's right. It's the Zionist conspiracy, the FBI, and Jewish uh, aliens. There you go. That's what it is. Um, it's actually surprising that what's his name, David Ike, wasn't in this film. <laughs> yeah, this film just does not work. And also, it's one of those things where it's like. The big emotional hook of this film becomes trying to save a character's family, like a second chance of redemption at saving a character's family. It's like, is saving humankind not a big enough stake for you that we have to have imperiled kids here? Because, <laughs> because it's so that's just so pedestrian. It's such a pedestrian idea that you're doing here, and this is. And you're talking about like you know this being. <laughs> the nature of the universe and the you know, reality being skewed and it's like but it all comes down to sort of like yeah saving a cute moppet again sorry um, we just had, just had another one of those I'm probably never hear that again in my life imperiled kids <laughs> yeah that shows just how mundane this film is it's like yeah imperiled kids when it's in Jurassic Park absolutely riveting when it's in this it's like alright oh, so the rest of the world can just go fuck itself then there's also like a visual reference to Ten Cloverfield Lane in the bunker that someone ends up in at one yeah. point isn't there there's, uh, so it does it's like, it does go out of its way to try and say, "Look, we're all part of this." But it's too. almost like, and and there's that, that bobblehead of the um of the of like the soda. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's almost like if if all your film to go back to mute, if, if the best that your film can offer are visual references to other films, <laughs> to much better films, to much better films, then it's like maybe it shouldn't exist. Mm. And it's the and it doesn't come as any surprise to find out that this was a straight to Netflix film because it's not good. Paramount have said that the future Cloverfield films that they are working on are going to be theatrical releases, which suggests that they've got scripts that are a little bit better that they can rework into Cloverfield films now. <laughs> or also that they might be standalones, because maybe the their, their other scripts are less contingent on having to tie them into the actual... Because that's the thing, you know, so far, they've, they've, we've got three Cloverfield films, two of them are good, if they make another bad Cloverfield film, then that then we're fifty fifty. Then we're fifty fifty, and and the other thing there is that we've got three Cloverfield films, and people are still talking about like um, a Twilight Zone anthology approach to this series. It's like, well, the three films we've got right now are the same universe, and the same things are happening. This isn't an anthology. This is a, kind of a continuing story that's being told here. So they haven't really done that yet. It'll be interesting to see if, if in the future films they do do that. And also the whole thing about like you know, being up in a space station while you know, World War Three might break down on Earth was done in 2010, the sequel to 2001, back in 1984. So that's not new. And it was actually done really well then because they were scientists and they realised the political differences weren't you know, worth ending the world over. So the Soviets and the... Um, Damn eggheads, what do they know? <laughs> yeah, so the, so, so the cosmonauts and the astronauts were both worried, and just, it, was a, it was a really, really good message there. And do you remember who plays one of the Soviet cosmonauts in that film, The Woman? 
Not off the top of my head. Helen Mirren. Wow. Very good. That's actually a pretty good film. Although there is sound in space, which seemed really stupid. But anyway. <laughs> um, it's like, what the film? Worthless. <laughs> worthless. Worthless film. But it is, though, because the first film was like... 2001 was famous for the fact that you can't hear anything in space because there's no... Because it's, it's, it's a vacuum. Why is there sound in this? Even Serenity doesn't have sound in space. But talking about, um, talking about Kubrick... Uh, a director who recently entered Tyler all in uh, 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 has been compared uh, uh, to him as uh, recently as uh, Alex Garland, and you're not going to like this, but also to Tarkovsky, uh, <laughs> um, because apparently Annihilation is wonderful. I heard it's very good, and that it doesn't go out of its way to court an audience, which never caught an <laughs> Yeah, which will be interesting because because Kubrick was a very commercial director. It's one that everyone thinks of Kubrick as being like a hard filmmaker to watch. It's like, no, no, he wanted to make money. He wanted to entertain people so he could make other films. His films are not difficult to watch. They're really interesting and they're very intelligent, but they're not hard films to watch. To tie it all back in, it all rests on Annihilation now to see if I'm going to get excited by another Netflix film. So, that's a pretty good place to wrap it up. Any closing thoughts before I start talking about my toe again? (laughs) Black Panther's very good. Netflix, sort your shit out. I think that's our... Yeah, that's it. It's, that's um, our, our takeaways. Yeah, we also have seen quite a few other films. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk what, about What was Phantom the list? Thread. Uh, Phantom Thread. So Phantom Thread, uh, really good. Paul Thomas Anderson does a... Kind of like a kinky brief encounter, kind of. It is very good. Uh, Mum and Dad. Mum and Dad, Brian which, Taylor. Which gets released on the 19th of March, so we will definitely talk about that when it gets released at the cinema, because Mum and Dad was just great. Uh, Jay Roman as well as Squire. Which, we, which I haven't seen, but uh, it's any good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the new film by Dan Gilroy, who of course did Nightcrawler. Which is great. And um, it's got Denzel Washington in, in an Oscar-nominated performance. The... Yeah, again, I think it's one, it's one I'd like to give... I would have liked to have give, given more space to... Uh, sorry, space. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, there's the Loveless, the new Zaganista film. Oh, yeah, was that uh, good? Excellent. Was it? Oh, yeah. Not quite. I don't. Th- no, I don't think it was quite the masterpiece a lot of people are making out to be. But it's uh, the Mercy. There's the the James oh, Marsh yes, one yeah. about Donald Crowhurst, is played by Colin Firth. The 1570 to Paris, the new Clint Eastwood one, in about the the terror about the would be terrorist attack aboard the train and where they all the the participant the participants <laughs> the people who prevented it played themselves. There's a Den of Thieves. The uh, the Jared Butler does heat, dumb heat, reheated, uh, reheated. Of course, <laughs> uh, I think those are about it. Yeah, I can't think of what uh, the other ones that I've seen recently. I think no, I think that's it. Um, well, you've had your toe, you know. I've, yeah, I've, my, had, I've had my foot up, and that's it. Um, my, um, my lack of mobility issues have enabled me to see. Actually, in all fairness, more good films than bad. Fair enough. Um, okay, so we will. So hopefully, the next one we'll be doing will be next week on the Oscars. We will be covering uh, the Oscars at some point next week. It might be on on the Monday. It might be a bit later if I can't get the day off work. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. And go and watch a film that isn't mute <laughs> <laughs> or Cloverfield Paradox. So go see Black Panther. Black Panther. Yeah.